if you were to pick three of your favorite places, either for culture or for just fun or the beauty of the country, what three places would you love to return to? Welcome everyone to the main journey, a way for you to join me on a learning journey through life. My name is Samuel Main and today we welcome Patrick Hamilton Walsh to the show. Welcome Patrick and thank you for joining me. I'm absolutely honored to be here Sam. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. First of all, I would like to just massively express my gratitude. It's been too long since we have connected but I'm glad that we get to do that today. I'd like to give the audience a tiny insight into your accomplishments and what you've achieved uh, to date, because it's a it's a long, long list and full transparency. This was a difficult introduction to prepare because of how much you've achieved in your lifetime. So full credit to you. And I also feel it's just the beginning, which is uh, which is exciting. So here it goes with the intro. Patrick, born in Northern Ireland and now living in Sweden, you are first and foremost a husband and a father. You're an award-winning author, having published six books with another on the way and subsequently have donated all proceeds from every single book to aid the homeless in their fight. You are a keynote speaker, life coach and entrepreneur. Your range of experience has broadened from managing the finances of ultra high net worth individuals to working as a CEO in Stockholm. On top of this, you have traveled to over 140, that's 140 countries across the seven continents. You've been breaking Guinness World Records, had dinner with presidents, you've skinny dipped in the Antarctica and traveled coast to coast on every land mass not to forget a road trip from London to Sydney. On top of this, you're one of the kindest, most genuine and inspirational people I have met. So thank you again for being here and for always being a mentor and an inspiration to myself. How do I do on the intro? You made me look way better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that good. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the start. I'm sure. Thanks for that. I'm sure I've missed an awful lot, but to kick us off, I'd love to go back to just before you sold everything, packed a bag and started traveling the world. Hmm. So was there a trigger for you to want to travel as much as you did? Yeah, absolutely. So when I went backpacking actually was when I was 28. But what a lot of people don't realize is that I actually designed my dream life when I was 16. So whenever I was 16, the trigger was that I grew up in the unemployment black spot of Europe um, in the northwest of, of, North, of Ireland. And in my society, we had a lot of bombings and shootings and troubles. And one night when I was out, when I was 16, I came to the, conclu- I came to the realization that this was as good as it got for us. The reason why that had such a big impact on me is that I decided that I wanted more. As good as as good as it was for the people around me, it wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to, I wanted a higher expectation of myself because I wanted my family to have a have a better opportunity to succeed. So I simply asked myself two questions when I was sixteen. It came down to two questions, and it changed my entire life. First one was, okay, you want more, so what do you mean by that? And the question I specifically said was, if I could have or do any three things in the world, what would they be? Like, go crazy, like think big, think whatever you want. And for me, the answer was quite simple. I was 16 years old. And the most important thing I wanted was to have season tickets at Old Trafford, watching Manchester United. If I couldn't play for Man United, I wanted to at least go to the games. That would have been a dream, like for me. Second thing I wanted to do was have a Porsche before I was 30. And the third thing was to travel the world. Because back then we only had we had two, three, four channels on TV, and we used to have James Bond on a lot. So I would always see James Bond going to all these exotic locations and sailing off, you know, into the sunset, you know, with these beautiful women and things like that. I was like, wow, what a life! I want that life. So I wanted to travel, but I had a big problem, Sam, and my big problem was that I wasn't good at anything. 
I didn't shine in any particular way. No one ever pointed me out and says, you know, this guy here's going places and he's going to do well and this or that. And nobody believed in me. In fact, people, the opposite, they told me I was useless and I wouldn't amount to anything and things like that. And, and that's okay. When you grow up in a tough working class environment, it's, it's par for the course. So I'm not feeling victimized or anything. It's just normal, you know, within, within those environments. So I... I had to ask myself a second question, and that was, how am I going to do this? You know, and there's the, 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 the direction was, what three, what three steps do I need to take to climb this ladder? And for, for me, it was simply, okay, I'm going to tr- stop messing around in school. I'm going to try and come top of the class by the time I'm 18. I'm going to be the first person from out of all the people I know to go to university. And then I'm, the third one is I'm going to move to either Dublin or Belfast and become an accountant. Because my logic was that accountants deal with money, so therefore they must be rich, you know. So therefore, if I, if I can use that as my springboard, then I'll have the season tickets and the Porsche and the travels. And uh, so, go forward ten years. Um, I'm I'm now twenty six, and I've just um, I have come top of the class in school. I went to university, I got two degrees in business studies and accounting, and now I was just uh, qualified as a chartered accountant with Grant Thornton. And I have started to become a tax lawyer with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, I've just every Friday I, I go I leave the office in my suit and I get the bus to the airport I fly to Manchester have a few beers watch the match you know just have a brilliant weekend out in England when I'm 27 I leave the office every Friday night jump into my Porsche go to Manchester have a laugh go to the football and when I'm 28 in May 2007 I'm now qualified as a QFA, Qualified Financial Advisor, and a tax lawyer with the Irish Institute of Tax. So I sell everything I have, and I go backpacking. And what I mean by that is I just go. I don't know if I'm going to be gone for one year, two years, or seven years. And ultimately, I was gone for seven years. And as you says very kindly, I was lucky enough to go all, to all seven continents. I actually became the first person to swim off the coast of all seven continents as well including Antarctica, and I um, I was blessed just to be able to meet people like you as I traveled the world, and and basically everything I know is basically inspired from the interactions, you know, from both the people back home in my village, but also meeting people like yourself and, and Richo and, you know, all these other people. Good old Richo. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. I love that man. Yeah, great guy. It's so interesting to hear the build-up because you have what seems is so much courage and confidence in yourself, your ability, and the direction that you're going. Um, how have you overcome those limiting beliefs or even self-sabotaging behaviors? Because it just seems that you're destined for so much and you're accomplishing so much. Was there ever any any doubts? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that everything that could be said about me negatively was said about me and my family from such a young age, and it was says in such a repetitive way mm-hmm. that I actually got this. You can either let that break you or you can make it be part, become part of your tough skin. And as a result of that, I'm, I'm quite a realist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a superpower to be able to see the world as it is and not how you wish it to be. And so I know... And it sounds quite weird when people say this out loud, but I know that I'm on my own. Like, it's up to me to maximize my life to the best possible way that I can. No, there is no cavalry coming over the hill to grab me by the collar every morning and wake me up and say, come on, you need to study or you need to work harder or, you know, you should leave now and go backpacking. It's it's our life. And every single day we have a we have a choice to make, you know, to to make it beneficial to ourselves or to make it as a, a day where we go off the tracks. So as I get older as well, I just turned 44. I'm always looking for ways that where I can maximize what I have in me and minimize things that are to my detriment. Like I, I love, I love going out. I love dancing. I love being around people. I love being in a big crowd, but I, st- I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't gamble. And what I'm doing is I'm constantly extracting things, which would, cause me to get into a pattern which is not good for me like I, I i love to go out and having a few beers as much as anyone but whenever you start getting hangovers that last two days what's the point 
you know, yeah. like my nights out when I'm 44 will never be as good as my nights out when I'm 22. So I chase that, you know, and the punishment for it is just too much. So I'm always trying to just to, to, to sort of circle back around to your question. My confidence comes from the fact that I, I, I have a good relationship with myself. Like I like the person that I am on no one's watching. And I do things which are good for me. And I do things which are good for other people. And I, I get a lot, I get a lot of uh, benefit. I get a lot of self-benefit through being kind to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm, I will, no one will ever serve me in a, sh- in a store or in a shop or at a restaurant or a taxi driver where I don't at least give them a compliment. And I will find a compliment in every person that I meet. And if I can't, and it has to be the truth, because people can smell lies from a mile away. So if I see someone, I think they're wearing nice glasses, I'll say, here, I like your glasses, or I like your hair, I like your shoes, whatever it is. And if I can't find something, but if, if I don't like their glasses, or I don't like their hair, or I don't like their tattoo, I'll simply say, you know what? You did a great job today. And actually, that's probably some, one of the best compliments you can give someone, the fact that they, they didn't screw you up. You know, you went in, you ordered your, your burger and chips, and they give you the exact burger and chips. And they probably get it right 990 times out of a thousand. But the one time they get it wrong, the person screaming at them, how dare you give me a cheeseburger? I ordered, you know, I ordered a vegan or whatever. And so I always try and compliment people on something. And that's one of the ways I have a good relationship with myself. And it's one of the ways where I, my com- my conf- my self- inner confidence and my inner self-esteem are, are usually at a quite high level. Yeah. And whenever I see people who are struggling in a way, I always say to them, like, the best way to, the, the secret to living is giving. So give out kindness. And kindness doesn't have to be a big declaration. It's just, you know, being nice to the person who serves you. And, and honestly, I just find the way to do that every single day. Is that something that you've almost self-taught? Or is that something that's just been you your whole life? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in, I think it's in all of us. I think as kids we are kind like we do give stuff and we do share i think society can uh convince us otherwise but i definitely i'm quite childish in that regard like it's something that i have maintained that uh people like compliments because i know that i like them i like when whenever i get a new shirt and i go out someone goes bro i like your shirt i'm like hey man it's you know right you know so if i like this if i like the sense I'm going to be like I love your shirt then of course I should give it back out as well and I always have a rule another rule on top of that is I'll go first I meet someone in the train and they're looking at me but I'll go first I'll smile first I'll say hello first I'll give a compliment first you know I'll apologize first so I always have that rule I'll go first it's not about you didn't do this or you didn't do that or I'm waiting for them I'll go first and if they if it makes them awkward or whatever, my intent, you know. I like that. I like that rule. It's uh, taking ownership, taking responsibility for whatever situation you're in, which is which is really powerful. I want to give the audience a, a small background into actually how we met. And that was, I, I think it was 2017, possibly 2016. And myself, uh, Richo, Luke Richmond, and his partner, Elise Richmond, uh, absolute rock star, both of them. We bought a car for £170 and we decided to uh, travel around Europe for, I think it was about eight weeks, I think, or maybe just shy of eight weeks. And we went all over, all over. But we ended up driving up to uh, Norway and then into uh, Sweden. And we were, um, we, we were camping. Yeah, we were camping. And you drove over, you came and joined us and we had a picnic. We drank some ginger beers and had a salad and sat outside in the sun and just talked for the whole evening. And that's genuinely one of the highlights, not only from that trip, but from nearly all of my travels. Um, And I remember thinking about how simple it was. We had a couple of tents, a group of really cool people and just exchange stories. And I remember actually just sitting in, sitting and listening to you and Richo talking and just being so inspired because I was a little bit younger at that point. I hadn't done as much as you guys. And uh, 
yeah, it was an incredible, incredible moment for me. Um, so when you look back at your time in travel and moving around, what were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from all that travel that, that you've done? Well, you just nailed it because the answer I'm going to tell is basically leads into the other side of the story that you've just told. So we, we and my wife was actually, we just threw a couple of tents and sleeping bags into the back of our car. And we seen that Richo was like a couple of hours away from us. So we, we said, but we'll pull at this campsite and they, we'll rock up there and they'll probably catch up on us tomorrow or whatever, as backpackers do. And he was like, yeah, I'm along with one of my mates from Thailand. Um, and I mean, you, and I wanted to meet his new his new wife as well. So for me, it was a win-win-win all the way through. But the most important thing that I learned from backpacking was always, always pay attention to the quiet guy. Because you know how it is whenever you're backpacking, there's always those couple of Irish, British, Aussie, <laughs> Amer- whatever it is, who's making all the noise. And like they get the party started. But it's actually the guy who's observing everything in the background is the guy that I want to gravitate towards because he or she usually has the best life experience or the best story or the most sort of magical reason of why they're sitting at a tent at a, at a tent in a campsite in the middle of nowhere in some wilderness. And I was actually I was going to I was going to Antarctica. So we were tech, we were over a few weeks, we were making our way down through Patagonia. And I met, there was, a, of course, the usual Hylians that I've just mentioned, Irish, British, Aussies, all part in. And there was this German guy who never really said a word the whole time. And I was, and then eventually, so I always thought, I'm going to gravitate over towards this lad. And he, he was playing for Bayern Munich all his life, since he was six or seven or something. And his knee had just went, just as he was about to break into the first wow. team. And all his mates were either already starting to sit on the bench or on their way through like yep. all the household names who won the world cup with germany and he he had basically said they had told him your career's over you're not you're not going back so do whatever you have to do so basically what he did is he grabbed a backpack and a tent and he was going to backpack his way down to patagonia and i always use that same analogy now for one in business and things who's who's observing the business meeting like who's observing you know the party and things and what do I need to do to get them to open up? Um, and you can learn a lot from that. And honestly, the reason why I'm trying to circle this back around to you is you're one of the most, imp- your, your story is a story that I talk about a lot. Like I, we were, we were up the country as a guy who I know who's just got divorced recently and he was up um, in the middle of Sweden with us as well. And I was telling him like, no matter what you're thinking, Sam has come from a lower perspective and climbed higher and with a more dogged approach with more people trying to screw him over. And, you know, and he just kept getting back on the horse and back on the horse. And I really am inspired by your story, actually, Sam. And and again, I have to ask that to you. What of all the things that you've learned through your growth over the last 10 years, what, what stands out for you that you can share with the readers or, or sorry, the listeners as well? Because this is something I need to hear and some <laughs> other people need to hear too. It's a really good question. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, me, I used to um, ask Patrick for a lot of mentorship. So he knows a lot about the, uh, the behind the scenes and uh, some of the, you know, the ups and downs that life and business can throw our way. I think for me, having been fortunate enough to, to travel and move around, the, one of the biggest lessons, I think, is that there's actually more risk in staying still than there is in taking the leap. And I think for me, I've made a lot of transitions, a lot of changes, taken a lot of risks, taken a lot of leaps. And that, despite the ups and downs, has allowed or created so many then massive opportunities for me um and i think it all starts with that first step so when i look back at those five years ten years you know it started with that one little step but i'm so glad i took that risk and i explored the uncertain um because i just wouldn't be where i am today without those initial steps ask you this then what what stops people from taking that step because i think everyone wants to 
step up based on sort of my box of how life works for people. I always have this thing that, you know, when we get to a certain age, we want to go out on our own and climb up. What do you think it is that stops others? Because obviously we're not the two people who didn't, but I would love to hear what you think stops others. So from a recent guest that I had uh, come on the show, um, he was, his name was Dr. Corey Wilkes, who's a clinical psychologist. And we actually delved into this uh, a lot more and he can address this better than what I could. But he talks about four different fears that people have. And those fears are fear of uncertainty, fear of failure, fear of ridicule, and fear of success. So most people are going to have one of those that stands out really, really evidently. So when it comes to, okay, making that first step, for some people, that's going to be, are they, they're fearful of what other people are going to say and how they're going to be judged by quitting the job and going traveling. Yeah. For some, the fear of uncertainty of going to a new country or of going to a new place that holds them back. For some, fear of failing is that it's not actually going to work and that they're going to end up coming home and going to be in a worse position than, than where they're at right now. Or for some, you know, that they may never return and they're going to absolutely love it. That can actually hold them back. Um, so I think having now spoken with uh, Dr. Corey Wilkes and learning from him, um, I think for most people, if there's something that's holding them back, it's, they need to just assess those four things, see what it is that's holding them back. Um, and then there's the exercise from Tim Ferriss, the fear setting, where you can actually delve further into that fear and establish a plan of how to overcome it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I think, looking at myself, I could probably say that all four probably applies mm -hmm. in some regard. You know, yeah. And even if it's just about going into anything, success. So nobody, from all the successful people I know, I don't think they ever think of themselves as successful particularly. Mm -hmm. It's that other people around them start to change as they become successful. And therefore you lose a lot of people and a lot of people who were loyal to you at this level now become resentful. And then when you go up, the people who are loyal to you at this level become resentful. And so success is actually a part of uh, shedding. And, and you, people always talk about friends and family, you know, I've known these people for 25 years and blah, yeah. blah, blah. No, you, they, you've known them, but they haven't known you. This is a new version of you that they're getting to know, to know, but they like the old version. And this is why they're bitching about you and complaining about you and, yeah. you know, backstabbing you and things like that. And you will lose people. And unfortunately, the more successful you get, the more, people you lose and, and this is why a lot of people who become celebrities and things actually end up with such weird crowds yeah because those type of parasitic hangers on are, are sort of the only people who likes them because they're, they're if you're from a, a mining village in wales and now you're a global megastar like uh, gareth bale for example they can't relate to that lifestyle yeah totally different totally different i've always thought about it in that your loved ones what do they want from you they want you to be safe they want you to be secure they want you to be comfortable whereas actually if you're safe secure and comfortable it probably means that you're not growing you're not fulfilled um you're not actually performing as your, your best self so you know your loved ones want you to be um staying at home protected wrapped up in bubble wrap but that's not going to allow you to you know travel the world to build that unbelievable business you're trying to build or to, uh, you know, take that next step. That's very well put, actually. Um, insight. And it's not because they don't love you. You know, they want to see you succeed, but they want you to do that whilst being protected. Well, <laughs> typically, if you're going to have an amazing business, you've got to take some risks. If you're going to yeah. explore the world, you've got to book that flight to a country that you know nothing about <laughs> and, uh, and take that leap, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I mean, again, I, for me, it was always going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why we're different that like, I'm just going to go to this random country and do that thing that nobody does. <laughs> and, you know, I remember I was, I was invited to Kazakhstan a few years ago and uh, I got in, they had sent the, they sent a driver to pick me up and they were, I was talking about the next week after Kazakhstan, I was going to Abu Dhabi to run the marathon and uh 
for some they said let's get food so i stopped with stuff for food and i don't eat meat i was a very, <laughs> and for the entire time i was there for five or six days the only conversation they had at all times was about he doesn't eat meat and they would and they would constantly like every person they would bat this thing back and forth like he doesn't eat meat how can he run a marathon how is he still strong how is and again it was such a it actually it made me feel good because there's in Sweden it's almost like every restaurant has got mm-hmm. half the menu which is vegetarian or vegan whereas for them they had literally never thought they'd probably read about it online but didn't really believe that it was true that somebody could live without meat and uh, I loved the fact that they were so baffled by it that I was such an alien to them it's so interesting when you go to like these different cultures and put in these situations um, and I think that that then helps you so much in in life and in business because you get so used to that level of uncomfort yeah and um you know i'm really interested how you feel that the amount of travel that you've done which you've got to be in the top like 0.5 percent was top 0.1 percent of the world of people that have been able to do what you've done um how do you feel the travel and what you've been able to experience actually served you then in a business aspect I think it serves me in a business aspect because people who travel the world are genuinely open to others, no matter what it throws at them. Mm-hmm. Like we don't go into a room and judge people based on anything. It's it's basically what about they can, it's basically what can, what type, what type of human are they right now? Because that's what we have become accustomed to. And the other thing that we look at it from their perspective, every time you enter a room and people don't know you, there's a level of suspicion. So if I walk into uh, a restaurant in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, you know, where I'm going to a gurt or I'm passing by in the desert and meet people, they're like, why is he slowing down? Why is he stopping? What does he want? But we become so accustomed to being able to get on with people, being able to create a bond with them, being able to create a connection with them. And it's something that we must do basically to survive at some level, you know, it, if it, there's places in this world where you go, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If they don't like you, you're not getting in or you're not getting fed or you're not staying in that place. So you have to be super respectful and you have to have a smile on your face and you have to have a, a demeanor, which is um, not dominating, but also not cowardly. And it's understanding that. So the fact that we're able to navigate such circumstances on such a variety of um uh, interactions means that whenever we go into business we we're super good at getting building rapport and being able to build relationships and we live in a world now where a lot of things can be done with technology but the one thing that technology can't do is build that connection with people and it can't do this like have a really good conversation and build a bond with people and two two randomers that never met each other from different you know backgrounds sitting in a field on the border between Norway and Sweden five years ago have led to this podcast and it, that's a that's a sort of a skill that it's very difficult to accumulate with but it's something then that leads to many things over many years and we really be, will benefit I benefit from that every day in business mm-hmm. you know and I benefit from it now just being able to have the honor of coming on to talk to you just by being a decent human being and you seeing that in me yeah. And then going, Patrick, can you can we can we have a follow up call or whatever? Yeah. So honestly, it's that thing. It's really interesting because I look back and inevitably, when you travel, you get into uncomfortable situations. Whether that's for me, it was arriving in a couple of different countries I didn't know, you know, where I was going to stay that night, six p.m., and I've got to find somewhere I'm going to sleep. I've been stuck on the Oman border, and you've got to figure it out. Otherwise, you're just going to stay there in the 50 degree heat that it was. And I think then when you're put on the spot in business, you've got to, you know, um, you've got to have that tough conversation. You've got to lead and deliver a speech, whatever it may be. Those challenges become a lot easier because I'm like, oh, I've been in worse situations. (laughs) And that gives you strength. It gives you courage in knowing that you're going to be okay. You're going to get through that. Um, We become very comfortable at being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So from 
I know we've been talking a lot about the travel. I just I'm so interested by the the endless stories that uh, that you have. If you were to pick three of your favorite places, either for culture or for just fun or the beauty of the country. And I've, I've, I've given you three here rather than one, because I figured that that might be too difficult. Um, what three places would you love to return to? It's pro- it's probably the question I get asked the most. And the answer is so convoluted, but I'll, I'll be honest in, in, the, yeah. in the response anyway. For me, honestly, Sam, life is all about people. Mm-hmm. So what I always say to people when they're asking about if they want to know what's the best place they can go, I always say, imagine what your paradise is. For some people, that's the top of a mountain. Other people, that's doing, you know, yes, you know, stuff in Thailand and a sweat camp. Other people, it's a beach or a mountain. If you go to what you consider to be paradise, and you arrive there and it's full of assholes, mm. then it's not paradise anymore. Yeah. So the, the biggest um, and best memories we have and the best experiences we have are usually people related, you know, and it's people in a certain location doing a certain thing. And you don't really remember the name of that campsite or what particularly good was, but you remember that you were there with me and my wife and Richo and his wife yeah. and that we had a really good conversation because that's paradise for me. So I can find paradise in a lot of different ways because I always search for those moments where I'm trying to basically pull myself back into the moment and go, wow, I'm really enjoying this. Like I feel so lucky to be around people like this who are, you know, ships in the night crossing each other's mm-hmm. path. And we'll probably get in touch again, you know, down the line, you know, even on a call or a Zoom or something. But to me, that's paradise. If I was really, really pushed to say two places, again, it's it's quite paradoxical. I think and I think the most magical place I've ever been is is the Amazon. And it's because there's so much life on the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I love trees. I'm a tree hugger. And there's actually trees on the Amazon which can move like two meters a year to get better light. So they put their, you know, they put their roots, the roots are above the ground so they can walk two meters by putting more energy into the front roots and killing off the back roots. There's also trees which are having this battle over like decades where they're trying to fight for light. And there's just two trees twisted like in that. And there's another, sometimes you see a tree which is just looking like this. It won the battle and the other trees completely died and rotted away. The Amazon is just magical. And of course it covers nine different countries. Yeah. Um, so it's not one particular place in general. The other place which is paradoxical to that is actually Antarctica. Antarctica is amazing because it's so devoid of life. Mm. Like it's the, it's the biggest desert on earth. It never rains there basically. And the snow and stuff that you see is actually drift snow. You know, it's been blown up by storms and it sort of drops it back down again. And the thing about Antarctica is it's in two seconds, it's changed. It never stays the same. Like all the ice and all the stuff is constantly turned into new shapes. And every Antarctica is different every single day. And uh, so for me, it's always about the people. And I mean, you yeah. can meet the people in your local pub and just have a laugh. You know, some nights are... Otherwise, it's like if I go to something, if I had to say magic, it would be the most life on earth and the least life on earth, which is completely paradoxical, but they both are the ones that stand out the most for me. It's so incredible but to hear you even just talk about that and that range and knowing that you've seen a lot of the in-between too. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's inspiring for me. Can you tell me what your three is then? If you have three or one? Oh, I should have planned it. I should have asked myself all the questions. <laughs> I? Um, I agree with the act of people because I had experiences where I'd gone to certain places and it wasn't amazing. Um, but I think I also link it back to moments as well. Yeah. So moments for me, like, you know, I've just been fortunate enough to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. That's a moment with some mm-hmm. friends that, you know, I just can't ever replace um watching the sunset in adam's peak in sri lanka where i'd flown next and i was only in the country for 36 hours because i needed to be somewhere else that moment um watching a sunrise across dubai across the the skyline you know something that's just unbelievable i can picture it right now um a viewpoint in thailand that was a sunset that was just unbelievably stunning um so yeah, when I look back, it's those moments, I think, that stick out. And some of those moments are with people, some of them with myself, but um, those are what stick out for me. Yeah, it's very good. It's interesting for me that you said 
both Sri Lanka, which was all nature at the sunset, and then also then you said Dubai, yeah. which was obviously man-made. Yeah. Yet they both had such an impact on you at the same in the same way, mm-hmm. because the, Dubai is there's there's a weird magic in Dubai. Yeah, the fact that it has been just built out of the desert, you know. Yeah. And I I understand a lot of people have criticized Dubai, but I I definitely get that sense of wow, I'm here. And I've yes. been there like 20 times, <laughs> but I, I still go, wow, like this place is it's, it's incredible. And actually, um, so I don't have many tattoos. I've got one on my left arm and I'm getting another on my right arm. But the one on my left arm is a photo of the sunset in Thailand. And for me, that's a sign of like enjoying the moment and being yeah. present in the moment. And then I've also got the a photo of a sunrise in Dubai. Uh, which I want to get on my other arm. So you've got the polar opposites of sunrise, sunset. You've got island life and then city life. Uh, and that's also for me is going to be uh, enjoying the the hustle, enjoying the grind. Yeah. Um, so it's a, the opposite too. So um, yeah, I think those moments, those moments stick out. Yeah, man, I really love that. Actually, I love I love how, how deeply you've thought about those tattoos and, and the different paradoxes like the island versus the city and the, you know morning to night and things. I love it. Yeah. What about hiking? Did you do much hiking? Uh, not. I haven't done much more hiking since uh, Kilimanjaro, but um, I hiked the volcano in Bali in Indonesia, um, Mount Batur. That was uh, 24 hours before the um, other volcano erupted, the one opposite, uh, which yeah. was pretty wild. Um, yeah, I've hiked, done a few challenges. Obviously, we've done the four uh, highest peaks in Ireland in under 24 hours with Richo. Yeah, I remember you that. That was that's tough. Yeah, that was that was that was really tough. That was a tough day. That was a really tough day. Bear in mind, obviously, he's climbed six of the highest seven peaks in the world. This was like a little stroll for for Richo. Um, but yeah, I've done quite a bit of hiking. I've done more than the than the average person. Let's say of like, uh, I've I've had a higher interest in hiking. You love a good mountain, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's such a you're so you're switched off from social you're switched off from the the business world and you know nearly always when you go hiking it's an early start and it's just such a good way to clear the heads clear the mind uh, and achieve something um and it's also it's not something that's quick and easy anyone who does any longer hikes it's like it's pretty miserable on the walk and you know it's not that exciting walking for many many hours so like that's part of that the experience i suppose but I also, I always get a big buzz from just trundling along early morning, four or five o'clock, you know, yeah. dark, it's starting to get bright. And then eventually you look around and you're like, wow, have we climbed, have we climbed from all the way down at that little yeah. point yeah, already? And that, that always is where I get my second wind and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's get to the top. I know you're, a, you're an avid, uh, avid runner. I know you've done uh, quite a few marathons and um, yeah, it's another, another skill set. Of, of of yours i would say i wouldn't say marathon run as a skill set that's more of a, a madness or something <laughs> it's a madness yeah there you yeah go. but it's it's fun i mean i yeah. i have to be now the, the other weird thing is i love marathons but half marathons crush me for some reason just, i don't know if it's because you want to push on more or, you know when you're more sort of safe with the marathon but i really appreciate the marathon but the half marathon is difficult for me which is weird <laughs> different bees so Patrick, I'd love to transition a little bit into uh, you becoming an author and, you know, writing, well, publishing six books uh, with a, another on the way. When did you first know that you wanted to create and share? Yeah, I, I think everyone knows, everyone wants to share, for sure. Everyone wants to be be listened to or to be you know held up as somebody who who isn't an authority of something so to be an author is to be an authority and i was actually driving from london to sydney and i was lying literally lying on the beach at um, bali and i was in bits because we were out the night before and it was schoolies or something they call it there was like the australian version of you know mid mid whatever that thing is spring break and uh oh, we were in bits and somebody was talking about you know an idea for a book and this and i thought you know what i'm gonna write that book but but i put a different and it, it surprised me how 
diligent it was or sorry it's a, it surprised me how easy it is once i was diligent you know okay. once i started looking at it you know was doing two hours a night after work and just started jot- jotting it down it wasn't that hard to get the first one out and then with uh now with like amazon kindle and things like that i think everyone can put a book out and i think that if you have something that you really are passionate about and you have a subject matter that you can sort of s- deliver to people with a, a message which is going to appeal to to an audience in some way then you, why not because for me a book is like dropping a pebble into a lake you, like, you drop the pebble and your action is done it's now out for the world to read it but you walk away but those ripples go out around the world and they or they go out around the lake and they bounce and they hit, it, they hit certain things at certain times so some of the first books i did which were nearly 15 years ago there's people picking up now for the first time because they are at the they're at the stage of their journey where I was at 15 years ago. Yeah. And if they meet me now, I won't resonate with them. I'm just some 44 year old guy who's traveled the world. Whereas they're a 22 year old guy who wants to travel the world. And so how can how can they access that version of me who was full of that hunger and that drive and that you know aspiration to travel and share and care and give, and like yourself, they get stuck on the border at Oman which almost happened to me and Johanna, which is interesting that you said. But I loved all that back then, you know? And um, be, having a book or having a podcast is one way to get people to access that earlier version of yourself and a queer, it's like a time machine. And I, I only have one criteria for my books. It's that someone who I've never met emails me and says, by the way, Patrick, I read your book and it's changed my life. And it's quite weird that... For all the books I've done, apart from the, the sort of the last one, I've all, someone has mailed me and says, your book has changed my life and this is why. And I think about this, if you read a really good book, how many times have you emailed the author? Yeah. You know, I've never done it, honestly. Yeah. But um, it really must have an impact on them for them to send you an email. And it's never a short email, it's usually. Oh, yeah, it's a paragraph. I've only um, communicated with those that I personally know the author yeah that's really interesting it's a great point like so essentially that level of um gratitude's got to be so high yeah and to write that post which yeah that extends that knock-on effect so yeah. much the last book i did was i did it during the pandemic and i wrote a series of books which was a storybook for kids to help kids to help parents to teach kids how to meditate because as you know, there's a lot of um, anxiety, stress, and depression amongst young people now, you know, self-harming amongst young girls is getting younger and younger, things like that. And during the pandemic, I decided I would write a book which would help kids or parents to teach their kids how to meditate through story formats. So it was like basically a, a life hack for parents. Yeah. And I did it in seven different languages. So the, the, the non-English books were done with the English subtitles on them. So it was a way like, let's say you're Dutch, you can teach your kids this and also you can teach them English at the same time. And those books have not worked at all. They've hardly sold. They have no feedback on them. Nothing's happened with them. And it, it, it was an interesting insight for me in the regard that I realized the parents who care about that type of stuff, they care. They're already on it and they, you know, they, they, they're, they're making it happen in some way. The parents who don't care, they just, I mean, it's not in their, it's not in their, their yeah, field. Yeah. And again, the number of people who are meditating and things like that is probably not as high as it should be anyway. Yeah. For me, meditation is all about just being present, you know, just not being worried, not worrying about the future, not stressing about the past, just being here for, it might be 16 seconds or 30, you know, 64 seconds. I have a few different versions of it. And I realized, man, just that, that doesn't work because the parents who are doing that already are doing it. And those who aren't are not going to. It's interesting. What comes to mind for me is that I gravitate towards business, but you can have the best product in the world, but if you're not marketing it in the right way, it's not going to sell. If you could have the best restaurant in the world, but if it's in the middle of a desert and no one can get to yeah. it or see it, no one, you know, you're not going to make any sales. Yeah. Flip that. If you've uh, your concept doesn't, you know, your hot dog store doesn't even need to be that great, but if it's outside of a stadium. And yeah. they've got a, you know, a hungry crowd they're going to buy. So it's really interesting that um, 
you know, despite how many books you've created and the the quality work that you put out, it's really interesting to hear the flip side of some of those struggles that you've still ha- still had to face. Yeah, and I mean that for me is the, the success for me is always getting that out. You know, if someone comes and says, you know, your book has changed my life, that's that's like I'm, I'm done. I'm you know I've, I've really yeah. made an impact on somebody's life, and I haven't got that yet, and I probably won't because that book, the, none of the book sells in any of the languages. But I'm still glad I did it because yeah. again, I do it today. But it might be in four years' time that that book sells one, yeah. and someone goes, "Thank you. This really has helped my kid go from being stressed and depressed to now having something that they can do every morning." You know, based on the simplicity of the book. Yeah. And um, but I'm still happy I did it. You know, the fact of getting that out is always the hard part, and then getting that email is always you know the, the cherry on top. Yeah, love that. And something that you do, which certainly is not common practice is that you donate every single cent that comes from every single book that you've created mm-hmm. over the years goes towards a charity to help the homeless. Yeah, not to a charity. So what I do is I I decided, again, I don't know where this came from because that doesn't make any sense. But when I was backpacking, I had no money. And I wrote yeah. my first book. As I said, I was traveling to Australia. And I says, you know, every cent I get from this book, well, uh, thanks, that's, what, that's my third one. Every cent from my books would go to help on the homeless people. And, yeah. it's, and it was almost like, you know what? I'm basically homeless myself, but I have everything I need. I have good gloves. I have good shoes. I have a good hoodie, you know, a brilliant jacket, a good backpack. And these people have nothing. And basically what I, what I, I don't give them money. and I don't give it to charity because I used to be an accountant and an author and an auditor. Mm. And if you, if you knew how much, those charities give to the actual cause that they're supporting thickening you would, oh, you would be mad so i don't give them the money what i do is i go to you know like in the one in the uk or ireland you have a store called premark yeah i go there and sometimes there's t-shirts which are one pound two pound each yeah i mean i could buy 20 of them that's 20 people i'm helping you know and but yeah. the thing yeah. is i go around and distribute them myself Love that. Wow. So instead of just giving them money and going, here you go, get, you know, have a few beers, I say, I actually sit down and go, here do you, and I, when I go out, I usually have socks, gloves, shoes, you know, whatever I can get, as much stuff as I can get to the maximum money that I have. Mm-hmm. And it might be eight euro trainers out of, you know, Primark. And people always think about the big thing about like the sleeping bags and things like that. But imagine being on the street for weeks on end with wet feet, mm. oh. wet, dirty underwear. So what I do is I just buy briefs and socks and stuff like that, which they can have. And the thing about the homeless is they never take more than they need. Like if you if they have gloves, they won't take gloves off you. If they have decent socks, they won't take socks off you. So they, they don't want to carry things. And uh, just by giving it to them, having a couple of pot noodles, you know, like energy bar, stuff like that with me, bottles of water and saying, right, what do you need? Give it out to them and uh, just treat them as, as humans. They like see the human in them. And, and the other thing too, I learned as an accountant that in the Western world, most of us are three three paychecks away from the street. So never be so cocky that you think that that could be, you know, you're you're a job loss or a you know a, a life. So I'll give you I'll give you a story, and and this story is in the book you've just held up. Um, I was I was taking my wife. I was back in Europe because I used to travel with the son. So I'd be in Europe for sort of, you know, Northern Hemisphere, summer and things like that. And my wife, my girlfriend at that time was starting to be an accountant. So I was back with her and she was going up to uh, to her classroom on a Sunday morning. And it was that first cold sort of Sunday biting morning, you know, in Dublin. And and I, I went up around anyway and dropped her off and I was taking sort of photographs on my, um, my mobile phone. And I came across this lad who was writing on the curb with chalk poems and different things, as they sort of sort of do in Ireland. And I stopped and says, "Here, mate, what? Like, what's the crack? You know, tell me, like, you all right? You know, blah blah." And I eventually says, "So, what happened that you ended up homeless?" He said that he was living in Paris, had a beautiful French girlfriend, a beautiful baby. He was a manager of a chain of Irish bars. Life was it was the dream, absolute dream life. And he woke up one morning, his, his girlfriend says, go up and bring down the baby. And he went up to get the baby and the baby was stone. He did this, the baby was stone cold. And he goes, oh. of course, he's managing his chain of Irish bars. So he starts drinking more when he's at work and things like that. So eventually his girlfriend, who's obviously struggling, has an issue. And she goes, she calls his parents and says, like, he's, 
I'm struggling and he's on the drink. Yeah. Can you come and collect them? They come and got him, took him back to Galway and they um, put him into a hospital. Says, can you help him? You know, this is the sad circumstances of why he's here and blah, blah, blah. And they started giving him these tablets. And he actually, um, he didn't, the tab- he was a tablet to warp in my head. So I checked out, went home. My parents said, no, you have, they had a row. So he went to Dublin to get a job. Couldn't get a job. So here I am, I'm on the streets. And I says, oh man, it's got like, I'm empathetic for you. You know, I, 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 there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is when you put yourself in someone's shoes and see the world from their perspective. And sympathy is whenever you put yourself in someone's shoes, see the world from their perspective and think they're right. So I'm always aiming to have empathy. Mm. So anyway, I, I leave the man and I'm walking up the street and there's a sign saying tea, coffee, one euro. And I was freezing. And I was like, I want a cup of tea. So your man really must want a cup of tea. So I go and buy two tea. And I see that the euro millions is, I think, 60 million or 40 million. It's in the book. I can't remember now. Um, for, and it's, you know, so I thought, you know what? Give me two euro million lucky dips as well. So I take the tease back to your man. It was only 100 metres away. And I, and I go, oh, thank you, thank you. You know, I appreciate that. And then I pull out the two Euro Millions tickets and I say, here you go, choose one. And he takes the one out of my left hand and he goes, oh, it's, it's, got, it's got my birthday on it. So he puts it in his inside jacket of his coat or pocket of his jacket. And he, and he's, and I'm like, all right, then here, mate, see you later. And I'm, and I'm off. This was Sunday morning. The Euro Millions is on Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah. So Tuesday night, it was one in Dublin. The Euro jackpot was one in Dublin. And um, I was I checked my ticket, of course, and I didn't <laughs> win. <laughs> so the next Sunday morning, I'm taking my wife up to the classroom again, and I walked past where he was, and he wasn't there. And um, and then I was actually during. So actually, I did worse than that. It was a, it was actually I think Thursday night when the shops were open late. I actually was up the town, and I thought I'll take a wander by to see if he's there, and he wasn't. And then on the Sunday again, actually, I have an, had another wander by just to see if he was there, <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, chances of him on another minimal you know like but it might have been just the fact that someone was able to give him a ticket or buy him a, like it might have been a million things he could have been beat to death during the week yeah. you know unfortunately he could have froze to death anything could have happened to the man but it the story of him going top of the world and tumbling right down to being homeless humbled me so much you know these are the people that, we, that could be any of us that could have that bad news that that phone call could send us off the reels and so God bless him. I hope I hope he's back on the grind and he's over in Paris and he's been able to get his life back together again with, you know, whatever way. And uh, God bless him. I think it's incredible that, obviously, you know, you've had success with, with your books and, you know, the level of output that you have is so impressive and that you still continue to um, donate and then going and doing that in person yourself. I can only imagine how inspiring and motivating that is for you to to keep going and, and to do even more if someone was thinking about writing a book for themselves what would be that first step or you know how would they go about it right let me let me push it back to you and then i'll tell you exactly how to do it what topic are you interested in sam that you would like to write about uh performance performance so basically what you should do then is you should look for uh three very core parts of the book okay introduction body and you know conclusion because performance is more of a business book it's 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 something that you're 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 going to try and build a business around ultimately yeah so what I would do if I was you, and the simplest way to do it, whether it's performance or anything else, is do your do, do, go to the core of the book first and find a way where you can catch some, get, create something which is catchy. It might be the seven A's of performance or the six D, you know, the six D's of performance, or it might be taking the word such as performer and P means you know perform. E is exercise. F is you know financial goals, and actually start to write a paragraph about each one of those. And again, the money that you would get from writing the book is not going to come from the book per se. It's going to come from around the book. It's going to put you down as someone who's really thought about it. Someone who's become an authority on high performance. Someone who's been able to, you know, who's well read themselves and has uh, lived a life which has enabled them to perform. And 
put it together and then package it and then buy the book is a brilliant business card because it gets you onto stages and it gets you in front of people who um now have there's something about writing a book that that opens a path for you because writing i'm not going to say writing a book is easy but what i have just shown you there is is the easiest way to do it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be groundbreaking it can be a, a new slant for the modern audience on a previous successful book you know we've had think and grow rich and we've had the richest man of babylon and all these books and it's basically the same book repackaged every 20 years for a new audience so true you know and they're and i mean they're all effective and i'm and i respect them all so much and i respect the author so much for mech for modernizing them and uh so i would say to you go for it like go and, and make it as easy as possible for yourself and what i do is i i can do it either depending on how busy i am i can like allocate two hours a night where i'm literally shutting out everything and i'm going all yeah. in for those two hours and i know that between six and eight tonight I'm, I'm not going to follow my emotions i'm going to follow my plan yeah because my emotions are i'm going to be tired i'm going to be fed up i'm going to be yeah drowsy that they're going to be there but the other thing that has to be there is the fact that I want to get two hours of writing done tonight or two hours of research, you know, and, and I'm really strategizing on how, and I, I have to do eight hours. I'm going to do Monday to Thursday and then I'm going to take Friday night off and I'm going to take Saturday the weekend off, or maybe I'm going to spend four hours on a Sunday because that's what else, you know, your allocation is yours, but it's not about what your emotions are telling you. It's about the goal and how, how badly you want it because the emotions are going to tell you something else. I love that. You know, and it's writing a book is, it's a weird thing to say to people because everyone's writing a book and no one believes you. <laughs> Everyone, oh yeah, you're writing a book, yeah. yeah. Okay. So don't be expecting you're going to get pats on the back or support or feedback. And the other thing that you're certainly not going to get is critical feedback. So I've, I'm very lucky that I have a few people around me who will tell me when something's crap. Mm-hmm. And they're almost impossible to find. And they're they're brilliant people, and they will say, "Patrick, no, 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 no. What's this? This is not good." Whereas you give it to a thousand people, and they go, "Yeah, man, that's great. Well done." Two things: they haven't read it because why would they? Yeah. And number two is they have read it, but they 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 think it's a bit crap, and they don't really want to break your spirit. But if you don't hear about it from them, you're going to hear about it on Amazon reviews. <laughs> oh yeah, real quick, real quick. very fast. So I mean, you can't have a you can't go into writing a book like going, yeah, this is awesome and everyone's going to love it. Uh-uh, doesn't With happen. All that tough skin. I think uh, I'm very fortunate in that my support group. I have quite a few of those people that would outright tell me if it was no good. <laughs> and I think if you don't have those people around you, then you probably got to go and uh, take some time and reflect because you need those people need those people for a healthy life in, in business and uh, yeah, in personal too. You absolutely do. And it's not easy. And I mean, when you have poured so much into a book and you've given up all your evenings at four hours yeah. on a Sunday and then someone tells you it's crap. I mean, it can, it can be hard, but they're, they're worth their weight in gold, those people for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I know that you've got a, a book that is uh, that you're working on or it's coming out soon. Are you able to uh, share any details or, uh, to give us a little bit of a teaser about that book. Yeah, absolutely. So I, a few years ago, I was, I was sort of, I moved to Sweden and long story short, I was trying to, I asked myself a question. What are the global mega trends? Like, what are we trying to solve, you know, as a, as a planet? And obviously the big ones that come up are war, famine, cancer, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Change. There's always a level below that which are not as cool, but they're popping up on every newspaper every day and things like that. And I realized that one of the big problems that we're facing in our world is talent shortage. Mm-hmm. There's not enough good, smart people to help us solve the problems within our companies. And, you know, we've all worked with people who were brilliant and they're worth the weight in gold. And we've all worked with people who, let's say, not so good and might have been more of an anchor than a, you know, a, a seal. So... I started looking into this and I realized that nobody was, strangely enough, there's newspaper articles around talent and employees and shortages and things every single day in every single newspaper, but there's no defining, I'm not going to say the word expert because I don't think you can be an expert in something like that. So I'm a, I'm a talent enthusiast. I'm always just trying to learn as I go. 
and, and as the water sort of opens up and you know unfolds for me as I learn. So I was I've been working to solve the global mega trend around talent. And at the start, I was trying to make Sweden the global center of talent mobility. And what that means is I believe that the best and smartest people from around the world want to live and work and experience the best projects in the best locations at the best time. Like they want to have a couple of years in Silicon Valley yeah. during the Facebook years. Then they want to come to Stockholm and have a few years here during the Spotify years. Then they want to go to Sydney and have a few years, you know, and then a few years in Hong Kong. And people, it's almost that backpacker mindset. Yeah. But talent are like that because they have so much opportunity around the world. And they're getting, oper- they're getting offers all the time. Like we heard from a guy who used to work with you in Google that you're this rock star guy. And, you know, do you want to come and join our team and we'll give you even more money? <laughs> uh, they're like, yeah. You know, that's a good time to be in Berlin. I should be there now because there's cool things happening. So I wrote a book uh, called Talent Cities, and it's how the Nordics are winning the war for talent. And my strat- in the book, I talk about, the again, the eight A's of talent mobility. And it's about, first thing is like awareness. No one's going to move to your city or move to your team to work there if they're not aware of you. We have an unfortunate problem in, in Sweden where everyone thinks that Sweden is a country in the Alps that makes, you know, chocolate and fantastic watches. <laughs> and to the extent that whenever Spotify listed on the NASDAQ, um, they actually used the Swiss flag. You know, was, they always put out the country's flag if that, and they put out the Swiss flag for Sweden. And so they have a real problem here of getting their, you know, creating awareness of what is Sweden in the world. But of course, Swedes are so proud of who they are. They're like, everyone knows us. I'm like, ah. <laughs> ah, you sure and again it's seeing the world as it is and not how you wish it to be and seeing it as a problem to overcome so my new book is coming out now in the next few weeks Amazing. where it's, it's about that and it's my first ever business book and it's something that i've really enjoyed doing and it's actually a lot easier than writing uh those other types of books actually so again it's about good solid introduction that leads into it a really good model or a good yeah. core that people can utilize and you know use within their teams or strategizing like perform and then a really good wind out and um i've enjoyed it actually sam to be honest i'm so proud of you man yeah just non-stop <laughs> so so inspirational it's it's amazing to me that we've barely scratched the surface today I feel like I could just sit with you for hours and hours and hours on end. We've, we've not even gotten into the incredible work that you're doing in business and leadership um, and speaking. We've barely got into also spirituality and that aspect. Of, um, we are 100% going to have to do this again, I hope. <laughs> I would love to. I, I hope. Um, but I do want to be respectful of your time. Um before we go, before we wrap this up, I do have a question for you. And this question I actually ask uh, every person that comes onto the show. And that question is, what advice would your future self give you in this current moment? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. My future self would say to me. I'll, uh, I'll read it one more time, just give you a, a second to think about it. So. Actually, I've got the answer. I think I've just done it as well. So I left my last project in the, on the 30th of June and I only went, today's Monday, so I went back to the office today for the first time. So I took off all that time and it was yeah. basically, number one, to spend time with my 10-month-old daughter and my wife, but also to be kinder to myself, to recharge me because I've been, I was given out a lot to a lot of people over a long time and at some level i actually had let <clears throat> my own self-care slip a little bit and um i really wanted to take time to be kind to me and to my family over this, this last few months because uh, now that i have a new baby i'm transitioning into a new stage of my life and i think one of the best things i did was sort of create that gap between old hardworking backpacking patrick and new hardworking but responsible father patrick and um I, I really went back into the office today full of beans like you know when everybody else was sort of taking it easy during covid and staying home i did 14 books you know two a set of books for people you know adults coloring books and a set of you know the meditation books 
and I wasn't kind to myself at all during that time when the rest of the globe was really trying to become more insular. I was trying to surf a lot. And um, I think that's what I did, to just be kind to myself. And it's, it's advice I give to people a lot. And I had to sort of take my own medicine, you know, during the summer and just take that time. Wow. There we are. There we are. Love it. Love it. Uh, Patrick, all of your links are going to be down below to socials, to the books. Um, but where would be the best place for others that want to learn more about your story, um, want to check out some some more about you? Where would be the best place for them to go? Um, I would say go to Instagram, actually. Go to Instagram or LinkedIn because uh, that's where you can sort of keep up the date with what, with what I'm up to. Just add me on either of those and tell me that you've come through Sam's podcast and I'll automatically just fall in love with you because <laughs> that's one of Sam's crew, then it must be good. So uh, I just get me on Instagram or LinkedIn. They're, they're both working for me quite well. Love it. Love it. Patrick, I want to express my gratitude. I cannot say thank you enough, um, not only for how much you've supported me over these these last few years in that mentorship guidance and inspiration, but you, you mentioned about, you know, that you need that recharge and be kind to yourself. And I, could, I don't think that could be more true because of how much it's evident that you have helped and supported other people. Um, so I want to express my gratitude, but for other people too, in what you've been doing and how much you do for others. And uh, yeah, I mentioned at the start, I feel like it's just a start because I see that so much in you as well. Despite how much you've accomplished, how much you've done, I just see nothing but more success and more inspiration to come. So yeah, I appreciate you. That's very kind. Thank you, Sam. And um, thanks for having me on, really. I'm so honoured. I'm so honoured to be here and to talk to you. And every time... I do talk to you. I get a whole new level of inspiration and I'm always so proud of you and the path that you've been on and the growth and development that you have achieved for yourself. And I'm honestly, you're such a, you're such a great representative of what it is to just lift up the crap that's been given and just go, you know what, I'm going to push on and you're going to have bad days and good days, but let's get up and go. Amazing. I appreciate you, man. My name is Samuel Main, and I truly hope that you've got value from today's video. If you have, please do hit like and subscribe down below, and I'll see you in the video tomorrow.